So today we're hitting a passage in Romans 11 right at the end that's unique. Something like this has never happened in the book of Romans uh, up till this, and and nothing's going to happen like this after it. It, It's this famous poem or song of praise that Paul writes, and he says this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Uh, If you read through the Psalms, uh, I've said this over the years, uh, there's a word you see all the time, and the word is selah, S-E-L-A-H. Selah, and it means to stop, to pause, to consider. And, and it's put in the middle of the Psalms because the writer would, would say something and say, hey, don't go on, just stop and think about this. It, the, the point is not to get through this. The point is to let this get through to you. So stop, consider. And I think what is happening today is, is Paul He's just gone through 11 chapters talking about who God is and what he has been doing. There's this moment where he stops, and he just takes it all in, and he starts to consider who our God is and and this response in light of all that he's written and that God has given him to write about who he is. And there, there's a, it's a song, it's a, it's a poem, song, however you want to say it, and there's, there's three sections to it. There's this first section of this declaration. Oh, the depth, the depth of three things, the depth of the riches of God, the depth of the wisdom of God, and the depth of the knowledge of God. That's the first section. The second section what it does is it forms a, chiast, a chiastic structure, which if you're poet lovers, you're going to love this. It takes those three words and then in reverse order explains what he's talking about. And what is he saying? Well, he's basically going to explain what he means by the riches, what he means by the wisdom, and what he means by the knowledge, but he's going to go in reverse order and now talk about the knowledge of God first. And what ends up happening is Paul, as he's reflecting on these previous 11 chapters, he he just exclaims this, oh, the depths of God's knowledge. From Mormons 1 through 3, we saw how God said, hey, look, I I am known. This world knows me. And and this world, having known him, deliberately went the other way and not just rejected God, but completely rebelled against God, and his, his judgment, understanding, knowing everyone and everyone's heart, his judgment was guilty. And yet there's this knowledge that he had a, a plan all along, even before this, where he said, I am going to come and save those who I have judged to be guilty, and I am going to take the judgment. My son will take the judgment. And throughout history, this plan, this way has always been traced out. He even predicted it, and yet we didn't even understand what he was saying. We didn't know. We didn't understand his knowledge and what he knew he was doing. Couldn't even figure it out. 
The Psalms uh, talks about how God, the ways of God are, are like him walking on water. You can't, you can't track his footsteps. You can't hunt him down. You ever had those moments where all of a sudden you understand the knowledge of God, his judgment, his ways, as you look back over something and you're just left speechless, overwhelmed at his redemption, stunned at his grace, shocked at his mercy as he sweeps us into his plan. Stop and consider today. Or how about the depths of his wisdom? Remember back chapter 9, Paul's talking about the wisdom of God, and he's talking about how God has predestined everyone, choosing everyone. And then he goes on to teach, and yet everyone is accountable for their choices that they make, teaching both. And, and, and there's this moment where he says, you know, somebody's questioning, and he's probably encountering, he says, you know, God, why did you make me like this? God, why did you do this? And Paul says, who are you to, to question God? Who are you that would say this? And he goes, you know, does the potter, does the, does the clay say to the potter, why did you make, make me like this? And he goes down that track. And he says, who are you to talk to the potter? You know, so what does form say to him in form? Why did you make me like this? How many times have maybe we said or we hear said, that's not fair. I wouldn't do it that way, God. Or, you know, God, why are you doing this? And, and Paul says, who is God's counselor? Who, who has his wisdom who can come along god and aside god and say hey god you, you need to actually make some better decisions here he moves nations for reasons beyond us he puts you in your family in this country in this room today like, you and I are here not because it's just us. He's moving. He has you here for a reason. And the question maybe this morning is, will you worship him? Will you respond to him even if you have questions? The final line is about the wealth of God the riches, who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. As you read through Romans, it's real clear, we're in debt to God. God, God, God doesn't own anybody, anything. And often, the lie that we can believe that gets fed us is that God owes us something, like we deserve something from God. We, he owes us a good life. He owes us health. He owes us a life free of pain, a life free of suffering. And, 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 or, or it's take every dream that you've had or somebody else has had, and, and he owes it to you or to me to, to fulfill our dream. And Paul says, who? God doesn't owe anybody. Find the person on this planet that God owes God owes no one anything, and yet it's God who gives out of the riches of his wealth. Now think about that. It's God who gives. He owes no one anything, and yet he comes and he gives us his son.
He gives us love, a love that could never separate us from him. He gives us everything. There's this story about a man named Job in the Bible. The book's named after him. He's a righteous man, loved God, great marriage, lots of kids, wealth, job, had it all. Satan comes to God and says, he only praises you because you've given him everything. He has it good, easy to praise God. Take it away, and he won't. And God says, all right, take it away. He will. And as the story goes, he loses everything. It's an awful story. It's a painful story. And and towards the end of the book, Job is still staying true, but he's starting to ask questions. He starts doubting the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And what's interesting is God never once explains to him what he's doing. He never tells Job, at least in Job, that book, yes, Satan actually came. It was Satan who did this, and he wanted this, and I let him sift you. God never explains it. God never defends himself. All God starts to do is say, okay, you want to ask questions? Let's start asking questions. How great is your wisdom? How great is your knowledge? How great is your wealth? These next few moments, I'd invite you as, it's like one of those sunsets. When you see a sunrise or sunset, it literally stops you in your tracks. Now, how many sunsets have you seen? How many have I seen? And yet, when you see this beautiful sunrise, you stop and you just look at it and go, I think that's what God would have us do this morning, is look at him and worship him. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? One of the most uh, powerful memories I have of college at uh, Moody Bible Institute, I took a a class, the Gospel of John, and uh, it was my junior year, and it was an elective, and I kept hearing about this professor, Dr. Meyer, and uh, heard he was the hardest one in the Bible department, and uh, demanding, uh, didn't, didn't know what a curve meant grading on a curve there was no such thing um kind of guy like he and he just he didn't care if you had other classes he demanded 
he demanded so much, high bar, and everybody said he was an incredible teacher. So I'm like, all right, I'll take it. Let's, I'm up for the challenge. So I signed up for this class, and he was just, I mean, he was just all about it. He was just this intense guy and uh, never laughed at any of the jokes I tried to tell him. And um, my goal was to see if I could get this guy to laugh. And I, I think I got him to smile like maybe once. It was a weak smile, like just to make me feel better about myself. But um, uh, intense, incredible, incredible teacher. Um, there's still things I remember of that class that I'll never forget. And I don't remember much of anything from a lot of my classes. Um, and I remember one time he was teaching. We were in the middle of the semester and he was teaching, and somehow we got on to this subject about Christ, and it was something. And he literally just broke down and wept. The whole class was like, and, I mean, everybody, it was just silence. And it was this, he was overcome. He was overcome by God. He's in the middle of the class just teaching about his God. And he just starts weeping. I don't remember much, but I'll never forget that moment. Theology must lead to doxology. Theology is just a fancy word for what we know about God, how to understand God. That's what that is. Doxology, doxa, praise, glory, the study of praise. How do you praise? How do you glorify? Theology leads to doxology. What we know about God leads us to praise God, to glorify God. It has to. And that's what's happening in Romans. Paul is overcome, and it's, it's the Spirit leading him, but how do you not, after all these 11 chapters, at some point just say, all glory to you forever. Glory to God forever. Amen. Glory is an interesting word. In some ways, it's easy to find. In other ways, it's just real, like, undefinable, like it's hard to get your hands around. Um, and, and glory is a verb, right? It means to praise something, to, to give glory. It, it implies like giving agreement, giving affirmation, our allegiance, declaring our loyalty, declaring praise, right? Obedience. So there, there's a verb to this of our action of glorifying. There, there's also this uh, thing about glory where it's, it's something that's not just a verb, it's something that is. It's, it's like, the, it's a noun, right? It's something that exists. And, and there's, the Bible describes it like. Glory of, the glory of God is like things. It's like a sea of glass. It's like rainbows. It's like lightning. It's like thunder. But it's so much bigger. It is those things, and yet those things don't define it completely. It's so eternal in its scope to even understand, and that's what makes it difficult. The glory of God is also something we can experience. It's, it's something where Jesus said, you look, my, my glory, if you saw my glory, it's so brilliant, it's so blinding, it's so holy, it will literally snuff you out. 
saying this to the disciples. And they just got a peek of it. The glory of God is, is brilliant light. It, the, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod, which is weight. The glory of God is heavy. It's weighty. Over and over again, you see these accounts where people encounter God, and what do they do? They fall down. They don't, they don't just fall down. They're, they're put there by the weight of God, His glory. You can't stand in the glory. You're, you're just weighed down in the good sense of the word. When God manifests His presence we, we see this sometimes. Sometimes people can't even move. Sometimes people can't stand. And you just kind of step back. Enjoy it. His glory is like nothing on this earth. Um, find something that's glorious. Find something that's amazing that we've made. Whether, wherever you go around the world, it, it's, it doesn't compare. It doesn't touch the glory of God. It kind of vies for it, but it's just sad. And that's what Paul said back in Romans. They have exchanged the glory of the immortal, immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, and animals, and reptiles. Exchange the glory for stuff we can make. And Paul, after he's looked at all the theology, talked through everything of Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and he didn't have chapters, but it's this, the fallenness, the redemption, the, the salvation, the sanctification, God coming in and giving us power to live, the freedom from the law, freedom from condemnation, going all the way through up until now, and Paul concludes this, to you be the glory. Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. To him be the glory. Because the Father sent his Son, we are now his sons and daughters. To him be the glory forever. Because Jesus was buried and raised to life, we can have a new life in him. To him be the glory forever. Because the spirit of life lives in us, we have the power to finally please God. To him be the glory forever. Because the spirit intercedes for us, we don't have to worry anymore about being weak again. To him be the glory forever. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, we too are more than conquerors through him. To him be the glory forever. Ever. Some of you haven't made that decision to worship God. The Bible says one day every knee will bow down and worship. I would invite you to worship him. Giving him glory looks like these words yield, submit, break, surrender, confess, grieve, mourn, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And the world says, ah, these are awful words. The world hates these words, but these words right here, these words if, are the doorway into the presence of God. Amen. Embrace these words. Go for this, and you'll encounter the glory of God.
the brilliance. You'll be connected to something this world can't replicate, can't produce. Theology must lead to doxology. The knowledge of God leads to the praise of God. If you are a Christian, you follow Christ, what do you have this morning to bring to him? But praise. I invite you to bless your Savior today with praise. I invite you to bless your Savior with adoration. I invite you to bless the Holy Spirit who lives in you, to honor him. I invite you to bless God the Father, thanking him for the Son. Glorify him. We don't bring doves and we don't bring lambs and we don't bring sacrifices. What God calls us to do is to bring our heart and to say, you have me. Glory to you forever.